0: Today, our journey through the book of John, it leads us to the last section of John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 31 in just a few moments, but as I do each and every week, or I attempt to do, I want to make sure that that we understand the context, that we understand what's going on and who is Jesus speaking to in this particular passage. We're still in that same chapter where Jesus has been at the Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember, if you've been with us, but now Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish leaders, and these Jewish leaders, they're actually inclined to believe Jesus. They believe in the words of Jesus. They're not doubting who he is, but they also refuse to pledge their allegiance to him. In other words, while they know in their head that what he's saying is true, they refuse to obey him. Friends, we all know people like this, don't we? See, it's not enough to simply know about Jesus. It's not enough just to have the knowledge and information about Jesus. While that is the beginning of salvation, that does not imply that just because you know the Bible, that just because you, be- you know that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe the miracles, that does not imply that you are automatically a child of God. In fact, James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, you may remember, he talks about this. He says, look, there are even demons in hell that believe in God that he's one, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. James 2, verse 19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and what? And shudder. You see, true, genuine, some would say saving faith, it consists of three different things. The first part of saving faith, it involves knowledge. What does that mean? That means that there has to be an understanding of Jesus's identity, that I have the facts down straight. I know who Jesus is. I've read God's word. I understand his identity, but it doesn't stop there. The second aspect of saving faith, it doesn't stop with knowledge, but it moves to an affirmation. Not only do I know the facts about Jesus, but I'm affirming them. I personally, I'm making that commitment that I believe the words of Jesus to be true. And the final aspect, it involves trust. That now I'm going to act out on what I know. I'm going to act on the truth that Jesus is the only hope for salvation. So you see, saving faith, it it involves the entire being. It begins with the intellect. It begins by understanding and having knowledge, but it doesn't stop there. Then next it goes to your emotions, that I'm going to affirm that what Jesus said about himself is true, and then it leads to our, our trust. It leads to our will. So it's with the entire being that we are to trust and believe and affirm that Jesus Christ is our risen Savior and Lord. So it's with that information, it's with that background, that we pick up our text in verse 31. So these are the people that Jesus is speaking to. And Jesus says this in John 8, verse 31. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my, what's that last word? Disciples. Disciples. So Jesus says, listen, if you are truly one of my disciples, you will do what? You will abide in my word. Now, let's get one thing straight here. What Jesus is not saying is that if you want to become one of my disciples, if you want to earn, if you want to gain salvation, then you will abide in my word. No, no, no. He says that if you are already one of my disciples— if you have already repented of your sins, if you have already confessed me as Savior and Lord, then you will abide in my word as a result of those things. You see, he's not saying you gotta do anything to earn it. He's saying because you have received it, these this will be the result of receiving and trusting Christ for salvation. But what does it actually mean to abide in his word? If you've grown up in church, you'll remember the, the famous passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus uses this word abide several times, remember? He's talking about the vine and the branches. And then at the end, he commands all believers that if you are one of my disciples, that you will abide in me. But what does Jesus mean here in chapter eight, verse 31 of John, when he says that if you are truly one of my disciples, you will abide in his word. I think it means two two things, to abide in his word. Number one, It means that we will be students of God's Word. Not only will we be students, but to abide in His Word means that I know it, I'm going to study it, but then secondly, I am going to obey its teachings. And here's where we're going to end this morning. I'm going to go and give you the end of the sermon because it's the end of the text here. What Jesus tells us is that if we are his disciples, if we will study his word, if we will obey his word, the end result will be that we will have freedom. If we study it, if we obey it, then we're going to have that freedom that we sing about just a few moments ago. But before we really dive in deep into what it means to abide in his word, what it means to study his word, what it means to obey his word, I wanna make sure that we're not taking for granted that we all understand what it means to simply be a disciple. Jesus didn't just casually throw that if you're my disciple. He's very intentional with that word. See, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who adheres to the teaching of a leader. And by the way, Jesus wasn't the first person in the Bible to have disciples, was he? John the Baptist had disciples. We read about that earlier in this book. Paul had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Even in the Old Testament, we know that Moses had disciples. But a disciple was someone that was almost like a student who would sit under the teaching of a great leader and they would digest, they would download all of that information. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just one who understands, it's not just one who receives the information, but then a disciple, he or she will then go and act and will apply what that leader says, they will apply it to their life. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, let me use another word, if you are a learner, if you are a student of Jesus, then what he is telling us here is that as a result, you will consistently abide in his word. And if you continually abide in his word, in the very next verse, verse 32, he says what the result will be. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So by studying the word of God, we will know the truth. Now he's not saying that we're going to know scientific truth. He's not saying that we're going to know historical truth. He's saying that we will know spiritual truth. Our eyes will be opened and with that understanding of the spiritual truth comes freedom. By the way, what is truth? Maybe I should say who is truth. Jesus said in John 14:6, "I am the what? The way, what's the next one? The truth." You know what the truth is? The truth is Jesus. So when he says here that if you abide in my word, which means if you'll study it, if you'll obey it, then you will know the truth, which means you will know Jesus. And if you study God's word, if you obey God's word, you'll know the truth, which is Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you will have what? Freedom. That's the equation. It's really that simple. So we know that the entire key, according to this passage, for us to receive the freedom that let's face it, every single person on this earth longs for freedom. What does Jesus say that freedom begins with? Abiding in his word. Now let me take a quick time out here. Understand that what I'm about to share with you here is I'm not trying to oversimplify what you're going through right now. I'm not trying to take lightly whatever situation you might be experiencing right now in your personal life. See, I I have a feeling that in a a room with this, this number of people, that there are people here today that you feel distant from God. You're not doubting whether he's real. You're not doubting your salvation. You just feel as if God is far away from you. Friends, let me make one thing very clear to you. It's not because God has moved far away from you. Sometimes we feel as if God is giving us the cold shoulder over a past sin in our life. I know you don't ever do this, but sometimes we give a cold shoulder to those that have offended us and we think I'll just give them the silent treatment. Nobody here does that, I know. You, you all are much more holy than me. And you think I'm just gonna be quiet, I'm gonna ignore them. And, and then then when I feel like they have paid the price enough, then I'll go back to them and then I'll reconcile that relationship. And some of us feel that's the way that God is with us. He's mad at us, he's given us a cold shoulder, he's ignoring us because he's disappointed in something that we did in the past friends understand that is not true it's most likely the reason that you feel distant from god is because you have not been what abiding in his word now hear me on this i know that what i'm about to say here is harsh but understand i'm not called to preach messages just to make us feel good I'm not called to to tell you things that even I think, hey, this is what I think that, that the pastor thinks they need to know. But I am called by God as a minister of God's Word to boldly proclaim the truths that are found in God's Word. So if what I'm about to say to you next, if it offends you, if it steps on your toes, if it goes against what your mom and dad taught you, I'm sorry. But my ultimate concern is that we as a faith congregation, that we know the eternal truths found in God's Word. So listen to me. As I share what I'm about to say boldly, I don't make any apologies for what I'm about to share. I believe it with all my heart. But I want you to know that what I'm about to share, it comes from someone that is for you. It comes from someone that loves you. It comes from someone that wants what is best for you, not from some, some grandfather figure with the glasses on, his, down on his nose, Jeff Davis, you almost have those there, that is kind of pointing his finger down at you, saying, I told you this is what you, no, no, no. This is, is coming from a heart of compassion. So here it is. Here's the unfiltered truth. Many of us made a decision to trust Christ decades ago. But since that time that we made that decision to follow Christ, there has been no life transformation in our life. Jesus says that you'll know my disciples by their fruit. And if you are honest, as you look back from that time that that maybe you were a child and you trusted Christ as as your Savior until today, you don't see a lot of fruit in your life. If you're honest, your priorities aren't much different than those of your unbelieving co-workers. Church isn't a priority in your life. You're not serving the Lord and serving his kingdom in any tangible or practical way. You make excuses as to why you don't or why you can't tithe, why you can't give to God's kingdom. You know, as Jack preached last Sunday, your kids and your grandkids, if you're honest, they don't know that God is even a top 10 priority in your life, much less as if he is the most important person in your life. But most importantly, for many of us that made this decision to follow Christ decades ago, The only occasion that we find time to crack open God's Word, to turn on God's Word, is whenever we come to church occasionally, whenever we feel like it. And then, why do we not do that? Because we're too busy to spend 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day in God's Word. And then, then we wonder why we feel as if God is so far away from us. Friends, let me suggest you, you can't blame that one on God. Think about your relationship with your spouse. What would that relationship be if you didn't seek ways to love them? If you didn't look for ways to honor them or to serve them? What if you only spent one hour a week listening to them or communicating with them? Some of you, your relationships might be better, right? But for most of us, it wouldn't be what we hoped it would be. What about your kids? What about your grandkids? What if they thought that things, that your work, that your hobbies, that other um, tangible things were more important to you than they were? What would that relationship look like 10, 15 years if you carried that out? What if you only spent one hour a week listening or communicating with your grandkids? Would you have that relationship that you'd always desired to have with them when they're adults? Of course not. One of the things I'll never forget that Dr. Carter used to always spell out as he loved to do was how do you spell love, do you remember? T-I-M-E. How do you develop a deep, personal, genuine relationship with Jesus? You abide in His Word. You become a daily learner. You seek to find opportunities to listen to His Word, to study His Word, and then you apply it Friends, here's the reason I'm going off on this tangent here, because I desire for each and every one of us to make our walk with Jesus more than just a one-time get-out-of-hell-free card that we made 10, 20, 30 years ago. That's not what Jesus intended. He wants a relationship with us. He wants a walk. He wants a daily, deep, personal, intimate relationship with you, not just something you did in the past. Jesus never intended... For us to repent of our sins and to confess Him as Savior, and then casually study His Word whenever it's convenient. To to come to church whenever there's nothing more important going on in our lives. To serve Him whenever it helps us, and whenever, hey, this this is the cool thing to do. Listen to the commands of Jesus and the Apostle Paul as to how we are to respond to God's Word. Listen, these are the commands of Jesus, not the thoughts, not the desires of your pastor. Matthew 4.4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But how are we to live? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not casually, not whenever it's convenient. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? So it will teach you, it will admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And last, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Look at the last phrase there. Rightly handling the word of truth. Friends, you cannot rightly handle the word of truth if you don't first of all know the word of truth. Now, I'm not sure how you read those verses. But I don't read those verses as merely suggestions. I don't think that Jesus says, hey, these are just reserved for those that are called super Christians. These commands are reserved for those that are called to full-time ministry. Let me ask you a very personal question. It's a question that I hope that you'll wrestle with throughout the day. It's a question that I hope that you'll genuinely answer. Because the good news is, no matter what the answer is, you can still change your answer based on how you respond. The question is, are you a student of God's Word? Ask yourself, am I a student of God's Word? I'm not asking you, do you know God's Word? I'm not asking you, have you heard it? I'm asking, are you a student of God's Word? The other day, there was a seminary student um, from Mississippi who was doing his doctoral project on local missions and the church. And somehow he was friends with somebody that's a member here, and he came and he interviewed me throughout the day and asked about different things that, that we had implemented as a church family. At the end of that discussion, he asked me a, a pretty difficult question, I, I thought. This was the question that he asked me at the end of the message— the I mean, end of our, in our time together. He said, Blake, what do you hope that your legacy is here at First Baptist? What do you hope, more than anything else, that when God is finished with your service here at First Baptist, that you can say that this is what you pointed your people to? I thought about it, and I gave him two answers. I said, my my ultimate desire, number one, is that I pushed our people to study God's word on their own. Not just to know God's word, not to even just agree with God's word, but truly to become students and active learners of God's word. And secondly, I said that I pray that I pushed our people to think beyond themselves, to think missionally, To realize that every blessing that we've been given, every uh, sphere of influence that we have, every uh, place of of, of relationships that we have, that God has placed us there, not just for our own benefit, but God has placed us there so that we might share the gospel with those that live on our streets, that go to school with us, that we work with, and that we are called to live for a much greater purpose than get more stuff or proclaim more things for Blake. That's it. It goes back to our mission statement reach people, which is what? Think missionally, think beyond yourselves and make disciples. We can't make disciples if we don't know God's word, if we're not a student of God's word. But understand, to study God's word, to know God's word, that's not enough. We don't stop with just studying it. We then must apply God's word to our life. This means that we have more than just a general admiration and respect for Jesus. Oh, man, what a great guy he was. It means that we have more than just an inclination that we want to serve Jesus. We we desire to follow him whenever we can. No, no, the nature of true discipleship, it consists, listen to this next word, of continued obedience to his word. Don't take my word for this. Listen to Jesus's repeated emphasis on this issue of obedience to God's word. All of these verses I'm about to share with you come from John's gospel. And Jesus continues to say that if you are my disciple, as a result, you will continually obey my word. Let's start with uh, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and what? Keeps them. He is the one who loves me and who loves me. And and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14 verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will what? Keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will, there's that word again, you will what? Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Later, the John will write in 1 John, he'll write these words, 1 John 2, 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? A liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Here's the key. I wanna know, am am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I one of his? Do I know that I am a disciple? Here it is. Whoever says he, there's a word again, abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Friends, a genuine disciple of Jesus applies God's word to his or her life, period. So to abide in God's word, yes, it means that we study it. Yes, it means that we understand it. But then it means that we obey it. And as we obey his word, that is where we find freedom. We learn God's word. We obey God's word. And then we have freedom. I believe the reason that many Christians today are not experiencing the freedom that we all so long for and so desire. It's not because we don't know God's word. I think many of us here, we know God's word, but we're still not free. It's because we're not applying God's word. We're not obeying what God's word says. And by the way, let's go back to the context here. Remember, freedom was vital to the Jewish people. Up to this point in history, and before Jesus died on the cross, the pinnacle of the Old Testament, the pinnacle of all the Jewish people was what? The Exodus. It was when God miraculously liberated the, the Jews from slavery from the Egyptians. And remember, where is Jesus at this moment? He's talking to Jewish people at the festival of tabernacles where they had just remembered how God had miraculously provided escape from slavery. But listen, they had longed for freedom most of their life. Let's not forget, even while Jesus is preaching this to um, the Jewish people, that they were still under the bondage and the slavery somewhat uh, of the Roman Empire. But let's not forget that what we're going to see here is that Jesus, he doesn't promise the crowd of people immediate freedom from Rome. That's all throughout the Gospel of John. They want to see it, and they want to see it now, right? But Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to free you from the the empire of Rome. No, no, no. He goes even farther, and he offered them freedom from what? He offered them freedom from God's judgment. He offered them freedom from sin's control over their lives. All they had to do was simply trust him as their Lord and Savior, and then he would provide the freedom that they wanted. He would be able to give them the freedom from their guilt, the freedom from their past, the freedom from the fear that they had. But this freedom, it only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus alone is the only one who has the ability to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, I've got some good news for you today. The same gift is available for you today. That same gift of freedom is yours if you will reach out and you will confess your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the Jewish people, they simply didn't get it. Just as we've seen repeatedly through the book of John, they hear it and then they misinterpret it. Listen to how they respond in verse 33. "'We are the offspring of Abraham "'and have never been enslaved to anyone.' How is it that you say you will become free? Wow. What a misstatement there. They had been slaves, according to the Egyptian rule, for over 400 years. Not only that, there were many times during the period of judges, during the time of exile, for 70 years, that they had been held uh, as slaves in Babylon. And let me remind you, as I just said, that even now, they are under the, the rule and the domain of the Roman Empire. But their pride which is the essence of sin, their pride kept them from understanding. It kept them from seeing that Jesus was referring to more than than physical bondage, more than physical slavery. He's talking about the, the spiritual slavery that is the result of sin. And look how Jesus answers in verses 34 and 35. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. What Jesus is doing, he's referring back, he's reaching back into the Old Testament history to the time of Abraham. Remember, Abraham was promised by God that he would have a child. But instead of Abraham and Sarah believing that that would happen in their old age, Abraham takes, and Sarah, they take things into their own hand. And Abraham ends up having a child by his slave, Hagar, and that child's name is Ishmael. Ishmael and Hagar were allowed to live in their home until Sarah had a child. Sarah has a child by the name of Isaac. And once Isaac is born, they are asked and they are forced to leave the home here. Now the people that Jesus is talking to at this moment, they were descendants of Abraham and Sarah. They were descendants of Isaac. And so they thought that because they were part of that lineage, that they were part of God's kingdom, they were part of God's household forever because of the family they were born into. But what Jesus is saying right here in verses 34 and 35 is that their attitudes, that reflected their cold hearts, which proved they were not true sons. And then we're going to end with this verse because it's the most glorious verse in the entire passage, verse 36 that Matt quoted earlier. He says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Today, many people believe that they are children of God simply because they're members of a local church family. Many people believe that they are a child of God because they were raised by godly Christian parents. Many people believe they're a child of God because they're quote-unquote spiritual people and they try to do right things. But friends, membership into God's family, it only comes through new birth given through the power of the Holy Spirit and faith in God's Son. And when you have that type of relationship you will then experience true freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from God's judgment, freedom from sin's control over your personal life. So here's my my final question for you this morning. My final question is this. What do you need to be freed from today? What is it that as you look in your life, you know that this is what is still holding you captive? Maybe it's unforgiveness. You're holding on to that and you need to be freed from that unforgiveness from someone. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe there's some sin in your past that you are still allowing sin to to hold you captive. Maybe it's a sexual sin in your past. Maybe it's something that you're going through right now. Maybe there's an addiction in your life that you need freedom from. Maybe Maybe it's the simple fact that you need to be freed from the fact that you don't even desire to grow closer to God. You're not even taking steps to grow closer in this relationship that Jesus has offered to you. During our time of response, I wanna encourage you to use this time to draw near to God. I want to invite you to come to the altar if you feel that. Coming to the altar, for some reason, it's become taboo in churches. It's like, oh, if I come to the altar, they're gonna think there's some public sin in my life. Or we wait until some kind of tragedy. Remember after 9-11, the altars were flooded because then we truly depended and we needed God then. Coming to the altar is just a a physical remembrance as, as if we are drawing near to God. And as we walk, it's a demonstration that we're drawing near to God, asking Him, seeking His help in our lives. Friends, nothing, nothing is more important in this moment than asking God to free you from whatever it is that is holding you captive what God has already freed you from so we're going to do something different we're going to pray and after I pray we're going to stand but we're not going to immediately begin singing instead I'm going to ask you to say Holy Spirit would you reveal to my heart what I need to be freed from and then I want you to respond as you feel led you don't have to come to the altar I understand not everyone needs and wants to do that but you can pray you can make a commitment right where you are You can say, God, I need to forgive that person. I need to move past this because this is not what God intended for my life. I will never receive the life that God has entrusted to me until I let go of this, until I receive the victory that has already been won for me. And then after we've had time to respond, I've asked Matt to come and to lead us through a song that we've sung several times before. It's the power of the cross. The reason I asked him to sing this song is because I want us to rejoice in the fact that the victory is already ours. Friends, the battle has already been won. The death of Christ on the cross is sufficient to cover your sins, is sufficient to grant you the freedom that you so long for today. So we're going to end our service this morning by singing about the victory that has already been won on our behalf by Jesus Christ himself. And we are going to leave today walking in the victory that has been obtained for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's pray together. And then you respond as God leads you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the freedom that has already been purchased for us. I thank you that our freedom is not found in our efforts. Our freedom is not found in our worth. It's not found in what what family we came from, where we were born. Our freedom is found in the fact that if we will abide in your word, if we will obey your word, if we will trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that we will experience the freedom that this world cannot offer us. Lord, forgive us for looking for freedom, for looking for satisfaction, for looking for relief in so many things that this world tries to throw away. And we understand they are temporary, but you come and you give us living water that, that well that will never run dry. So I pray right now for every single one of us That we wouldn't just talk about freedom. We wouldn't just understand it in our head, but we would live in that freedom. And so, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us and that we would release whatever's holding us back from the life that you've called us to live a life of obedience a life that looks to accomplish more than what we can gain on our own efforts, but a life that says my life is not my own and I want to give every last breath serving the only name that is worth serving, the name of Jesus Christ. So would you work in our hearts and would we be obedient as you lead us? In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.